right, we're going to jump into Judges chapter 20. This is um, Judges chapter 21. And this will be the final message in this series in Judges. And um, some of us are glad about that. It's just been a lot, and we're kind of glad to move on to something else. And, um, but I don't want to miss the importance of what's here at the very end. And now next week we'll start a new series. It's called The Good Life. It's, um, uh, it's intentional to help people to understand what does the world say is the good life? And the world has a definition for that, right? But what does God say is the true good life? And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at for four weeks a contrast between what the world says and what God says. We find that in Mark chapters 9 and 10. And so I'm really looking forward to that uh, series. Can't wait to start it. But I really want to dig in here and try to put a bow on the book of Judges and help us to really see some stark truths once more that I pray will infiltrate our hearts, change us, and help us to rely upon Jesus even more. Remember, we've began this uh, series every single one at nauseum, and I'm sure you're like, yeah, we get it, Derek. We know what you're about to say. But that the Bible is not just a hammer that we're to use as a weapon and say, look at them and look at what they've done and, and what they've done and beat them over the head with it. The, to, to look at others and say, you should live right. You should live according to God's truths. No, the Bible is first meant to be a mirror that you and I look deep into and say, Lord, what are you showing me? What blemishes? What wrinkles? What straight strands of hair are... What are those things that I need to see about myself and change? Is that just a thing for me? I'm about to turn 40... I have random hairs in random places, and sometimes I don't see it until the lighting is right and the mirror is... Anybody else? No, just me. Okay. TMI, right? But that's what the Bible does for you and I. We look into it, and when you truly stop and look, truly stop and see, then we'll see the things on us that need to change. Just, I think it was yesterday, Allison points out that I had a blemish on the tip of my nose, right? Which, again, is just TMI, I'm sure. But I'm like, did you let, I mean, it's like in the middle of the day, I'm like, did you let me walk around the entire day with that there? And then how did I not see it? And you know, things get busy, we don't spend as much time as thinking, yo, I should have looked more, I should have paid more attention. And that's the truth about the Bible, is that we need to d dive into it more and more, look more intently at ourselves in it and say, Lord, what needs to change about me? What needs to be fixed about me? And we've also begun every uh, one of these messages with a question, and the question has remained these last three weeks, and it will remain the same once more. But what happens when God's people become their own worst enemy. You see, 
what we find in this passage today, if we look at ourselves, is that we will find we fail every day. We fail to live up to the standards God has placed before us. We sin every day, but we will also see Jesus' mercy is available every day. Jesus' grace is available to cover a multitude of sins in you and in me. And so there are blemishes, there are faults, there are failures, there are things that need to be corrected in my life, and there are things that need to be corrected in your life. And the Bible shows us those things so that Jesus, in his loving kindness, in his graciousness and his goodness, does not let us walk all day long with those blemishes on our life. And he says, look, these things need to change about you, and I can change them. I can make you new. I can cover them. And so we must remember that and understand that. And we see that as we continue to look at this passage. Now, I want to bring you up to speed just on what, where we've been in these past two uh, weeks in, in, in Judges chapter 19 and 20. We get to the end of 20 and the whole assembly of Israel. Remember, we talked about how unified they were under this no-name Levite more unified than they were under any of the other judges, any of the other deliverers. And here they are, the whole assembly of Israel was unified against not, just, not the Canaanites, but they were unified against their own people. They were fighting against one another. And that's what they were jazzed about and unified in and excited about. Let's kill our own Brothers, the Benjaminites. So they fought them and eventually killed everyone except 600 warriors. And it was in that moment that they realized wait a second, what have we done? What has happened here? We almost wiped out a whole branch of our people, one of the 12 arms of our people. We almost wiped out. It wasn't until they were down to 600 that they realize here we are and we've almost killed off an entire people group which left them in a conundrum. Can we do that? Can we kill off a whole tribe of our people? And when they determined, no, we can't, that's when they devise a plan to right their wrongs. And you know, as well as I do, once you've killed people, you can't undo that. But they tried. Look at what happens in Judges chapter 21 in the first nine verses. Would you read along with me there? The men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. None of us will give his daughter to a Benjaminite in marriage. So the people went to Bethel and sat there before God until the evening. They wept loudly and bitterly because they've realized what they've done. They've left the people group in a very odd situation, not only because they killed off all of them except for 600, but they also made an oath to God and said, let us be cursed if any of us marry any of them, if any of our daughters marry any Benjaminites. And 
They cried out, Why, Lord God of Israel, has it occurred that one tribe is missing in Israel today? So this is a very... Look at that, uh, what they say there. Isn't that fascinating? They cried out, Why, Lord of Israel? Why has this happened? It's like, it's like they woke up and didn't realize what they had just done. It's like they had done all this in a daze and then woke up and said, Wait a second. Where did all the Benjaminites go? You killed them. The next day, the people got up early, built an altar there, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The Israelites asked, Who of all the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord with the assembly? For great, uh, for great, um, for a great, let's see, hold on, that's cutting off. I'm reading from the screens because I told, I've been told if I read my Bible, all you see is my bald head on the video. So, but it's cut off a little bit there and I'm not sure exactly what it says. The Israelites asked, who of all the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord with the assembly? For a great oath had been taken that anyone who had not come to the Lord at Mizpah would certainly be put to death. But the Israelites had compassion on their brothers, the Benjaminites, and said, Today a tribe has been cut off from Israel. What should we do about wives for the survivors? We've sworn to the Lord not to give any of them, give them any of our daughters as wives. They asked which city among the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord at Mizpah. It turned out that no one from Jabesh-Gilead had come to the camp and the assembly. Now, and so what we see is that they're trying to figure out what to do, but they've put themselves in this, this catch-22 situation. They can give their daughters in marriage to some of these Benjaminites, but they swore that they wouldn't do that and that God would curse them if they did. They swore an oath to God and said, God, let there be a curse on us if we do this. And so they decide, well, wait a second. Did everybody come to the assembly or did anybody not come? And so they find out that these people from Jabesh Gilead didn't come and weren't involved in this big war. And so they decided instead of, uh, you know, uh, doing things the way God would want and coming before God, even though they did come before God, they didn't ask God what to do. They took things into their own hands and eventually killed off the Jabesh Gileadites because they didn't come, but we're only able to give them 400 wives from there. Crazy. Crazy. And what we need to see here in all of this, as crazy it is, as it is, it teaches us something about ourselves. And this is it. When we fail, let's hit our knees not take things into our own hands. You see, they, they were taking things into their own hands with their own wisdom, with their own thoughts, rather than asking God, what do you want us to do? And they were just trying to do what we all do when we fail, and we try to fix it on our own. We get ourselves into worse trouble than had we just done it God's way to begin with. So, when we fail, and we will fail... Every day, and we do fail every day, but how we react once we fail is what sets us apart. How we react once we fail is what makes us different. The people determined how they could move forward 
apart from God's guidance. Yes, they came to God in worship and in sackcloth and ashes and repentance, not of their sins, but of their circumstances. And isn't that how we do it oftentimes? We don't repent until we're in trouble. And that's what they did. They were in trouble. They made a mistake. And that's when they repented. That's when they came before God humbly and worshipped Him. But they didn't ask God what to do. They took that into their own hands. It's like they woke up from a bad dream and turned toward God and said, how did this happen, God? And David, King David, gives us a great example of how to acknowledge our sin before the Lord. Not as the people of Israel did, but how we ought to truly acknowledge it before the Lord. If you remember, David got into his own mess, and we'll learn that eventually in the, um, in the, in the coming, when, when we do a series on David and some of those kind of things that is sure to come. But what we see in David's life is David sinned greatly. He, he was doing some crazy stuff too. He, he, he found a wife that wasn't his wife. It was another man's wife. She was uh, carrying David's child at a time of war. And his, uh, her husband, the, Uriah the Hittite, was off at war and came back. And David tried to get all this to happen so it would look like it was his child. And that didn't work out. And so he had Uriah killed. When David is finally confronted by his sin, this is what he says before the Lord. Psalm 51. These are his words. These words of repentance, the words that should uh, help us to understand how we should respond when we fail. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and, I will, and sinners will return to you. Save me. From the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. It's your good pleasure because Zion Cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifice, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be altered, offered on your altar. You see, David gives us a great example of how to respond when we do fail. It's to acknowledge our failures. Not to turn away and say, uh, it must be someone else's fault. It's to, to fall to our knees and, and, and not take things into our own hands, but say, Lord, I've, I've done enough terrible things 
Forgive me. I, I've done enough wrong. I don't want to mess this up. I need you. So, when we fail, let's not try to cover up our mistakes with more mistakes. Let's get before the Lord and ask Him to cover our iniquities and change us and make us new in His sight. The second thing we see here in verses 13 through 16 of Judges chapter 21 is that we see that when we fail, let's acknowledge our faults, not blame God. Look what they did in verses 13 through 16. The whole congregation sent a message of peace to the Benjaminites who were at Rimmon Rock. Benjamin returned at that time, and Israel gave them uh, the women they had kept alive from Jabesh Gilead, but there were not enough for them. The people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made this gap in the tribes of Israel. Listen to that. Because the Lord had made this gap in the tribes of Israel. No, he didn't. They did. They did what, a what Adam did in the garden when the Lord caught him in sin, when he was naked and ashamed and hiding away. He says, Lord, we can't come out to you because we're, sh we're, we're, we're full of shame. And, and God said, well, who told you that you were naked? And, and Adam said, well... You see, this woman that you gave to me, this wife that you gave to me, she ate of that apple. And then, and what we do, what we love to do, is we love to place blame on someone else. And Adam, uh, from the very get go, blames God. And that's what they're doing here as well, is they are blaming God for their predicament. God, how could you let this happen? And the thing is, we can laugh at this. We can say, how could they do that? We do the same thing. When we fail and we end up in a place that we shouldn't be in, when our sin has led us to the place that we're in, how often do we say, God, how could you allow this to happen? How could this be? And so let's acknowledge our own faults as David did and Come before the Lord in humility and ask Him to do what we cannot do. They had failed to think ahead and now they are scrambling. The people of Israel are scrambling to fix it. And part of their fixing it is making themselves feel better about their mistakes and they blamed God. But David states it well when he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. David acknowledged his guilt before the Lord, and you and I must do the same. We must own our faults and confess them before the Lord and ask Him to intervene and correct our wrongs. And you know what the Bible gives us, the admonition it gives us? It tells us if we confess our sins... What? He is faithful and just to forgive us. You see, all it takes is simple acknowledgement. Lord, I have done wrong in your sight. And as David said, restore to me this, the joy of my salvation. The third thing that we see, when we fail... Let's turn to God's way, not justify our faulty ways. So the story continues here. In verses 19 through 20, 
we see that the people of God um, come up with this way that they can somehow not break their covenant with their, their oath to God, but at the very same time they can accomplish what they are out to do, which is to find uh, some more wives for the Benjaminites that they left uh, empty and almost uh, for naught. They received many from the Jabesh Gileadites that they killed off and but kept alive a portion of them, but it was not enough. And so they said, well, how can we do this? We can't give them our daughters, for we swore to the Lord we wouldn't do that and that we'd be cursed if we did. But then they said in verse 19, look, there's an annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. They commanded the Benjaminites, go and hide yourself in the vineyards. Now these were their people. These were some of the same people that made up all these silly rules. And they said, if you'll just go there, there'll be some ladies dancing, some young women dancing uh, out there. And so all you got to do, Benjaminites, just go be sneaky and capture those virgins for yourself and make them your wives. And that way they said, and, and uh, when they're, uh, verse 21, watch, and when you see the young women of Shiloh come out to perform the dances, each of you leave the vineyards and catch a wife for yourself from the young women of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers come to us and protest, we will tell them, show favor to them. Since we did not get enough wives for each of them in the battle, you didn't actually give the women to them, so you're not guilty of breaking your oath. You see how crazy this is? But these people decided that they would do this crazy thing and somehow God and his providence would be okay with it because they didn't break their oath because they didn't give their daughters away, but they allowed the Benjaminites to go and to steal them. What's the difference? And you may look at them and say, how crazy. But we do the same thing to cover our own sins. We justify our own means. We, we rationalize our own sin and our own wrongdoing and say, well, it's okay if I do this because uh, God allowed me to do or I have this opportunity to do or look at the position in, 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 that I'm in. Look at what I need and, and we need to cover up what we've done wrong and God will be okay with that. We rationalize and justify our own sin in deviation from God's way. And we cannot do that because God is all-knowing. God doesn't look into a situation and say, oh, well, yeah, since you did it that way, that's okay. Sin is sin. Wrongdoing is wrongdoing. And God judges it all. We must face the music, admit our own sin, and declare our dependence on Him to correct it in our continued failures if we continue to try to do it on our own. We, we have to acknowledge, Lord, if I keep trying to do this on my own, I'm just going to get into a mess, a worse mess than I'm in now. The final thing that we see in verse 25, the narrator of Judges, potentially Samuel, says something he's been saying all along. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right 
to him. He's, he's putting this closing in Mark to say, listen, everything that I've told you about here is ludicrous. And it's because no one cared anything about God and everyone did whatever seemed right to them. The fourth thing that we see and understand from this is that when we fail, God makes a way to cover our iniquities. You may think, how do you see that in this passage? Well, I don't see it in this passage, but I see it in the collective uh, truth of Scripture. I see it in how the Hebrews understand Scripture and what follows next. You know what follows next? The story of Samuel. The story of David. And what you see in those stories is that you see the people of Israel that were so like the Canaanite people, they did whatever they wanted to, they continued to do it. And you think about Eli, the, the, the priest that Samuel comes and learns under eventually. Think about him and think about his two sons that lead worship however they want to, that they, that they, uh, that they have taken the way the Canaanites did things and implemented that into the ways of God. And they had lived this faulty life. And here God sends Samuel into the midst of that. He sends light into the midst of the darkness. And think about King Saul that the, the people of, of God elect as their, as their, as their uh, king. One who eventually does and goes and does the th same things the Canaanites did, but who becomes in as a messianic light into the, into the picture? The one God chooses. The one that Samuel went to a group of people, the, the lineage of, of, of Abraham, to Jesse, the son, uh, to Jesse, the, the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. We see, eventually, we see. David come in as the youngest and the weakest and the one that you would never guess. And God says, God look, or man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And David, the messianic picture of Jesus Christ, the light invades the darkness. And so we see, yes, it had gotten very, very dark. And you could even say, today it seems so dark. But the light is coming. The light is here. The light is available to invade the darkness. And friends, you and I as the church of Christ, we carry the light into the darkness. We are the people of God. We are the messengers of Jesus. We are ambassadors for the light. And we carry it, the light of the gospel, wherever we go. And the gospel is that, yes, the gospel is this. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have done wrong. Yes, you have failed. But Jesus makes a way. Jesus covers sin. Jesus pervades the darkness. So in such a terrible book with the ends the end so terribly and you've got peop, the people of God living just like anyone else did what we still see is the beauty of the entirety of the whole gospel and the whole bible and the whole story that is there and that that God was not done with the people of God yet and God was not done with the world 
yet. And since you and I have breath in our lungs and we carry the light of the gospel with us, he's not done in our day yet either. He's a matchless king that we love, serve, and live for. And this world needs to see him. And unfortunately, unfortunately in the American church, it's sometimes harder to see him there than it is in anywhere else. I get it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to fight for it. Not about our kingdom. Not about building a big church. Not about building a movement or a... God already did that. Sometimes the smallest light is the brightest in the darkest times. And so you and I carry the gospel today. Today, and I hope as you came in, you received one of these cups. And we're trying to work through these things. I understand they're not as, they're, they're gross, I get it. But maybe the picture is even more evident in how gross they are. And friends, if you're watching online and you'd like to go and grab some elements real quick to share with us in this moment of communion, we are going to do something that Christians have done for centuries that is so meaningful. Because this juice and this styrofoam or whatever it is, these are gross. They represent something amazing. They represent the hope that Samuel, the Messianic line brought, that Jesus brought. They, they represent the hope that in the end of, book of the book of Judges is only a flicker. But it is so strong that one day we would not depend upon human means a human king, a human ruler, a, a human uh, pastor, leader, father, mother, that we wouldn't say, my religion is based off of my uh, relationship with my pastor, or with my parents, or whatever. That We wouldn't be able to do that. That we would say, my relationship with Jesus is not dependent upon me or human means. Because they will fail every time, just like it did in Judges, just like it does whenever we put the emphasis on humans. That is not where the light comes from. The light comes from Jesus Christ, who came to earth like us, but completely unlike us. He put on flesh, died to sin, put himself through torture, so that you and I could understand that in his death, we too die to ourselves and are raised to life in Him, raised to life in the light of Christ. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the torture His body was placed through. We remember the torture that his, that his, when His blood was spilt for you and I so that we could become the light of Christ to all we come in contact with. This cup is not just as simply let's remember this and it's a very sacred moment and it's all those things but it's also a moment of mission of commission 
Jesus' body was broken for you. Jesus' blood was spilt for me and you so that life and light could be breathed into us. And that when we go forward, we go forward in a dark world with the brightest light of Christ possible. So today, can we, as we remember Jesus' death, can we also remember our death in Him and our being raised to life in Him? Would you take those and take a moment, be careful. The... uh, the juice will squirt out on you. It's done it to me. So hold it away from yourself. Or, But go ahead and get those ready. And if you're at home, grab those elements at home. And as we have the representative bread, we remember Jesus' body was broken for us. The Bible says, as often as we eat it, remember his broken body. Let's remember it today and take and eat. bitter yet sweet taste of the drink is supposed to remind us of the bitter yet sweet sacrifice of our, of our Savior. It's bitter because He had to die for our sins. But it's sweet because He died for our sins and forgave us of our sins. So as Jesus spilled His own blood for us, may we remember The punishment was taken for us. And he gives us life. Would you drink as you remember those things? So when Jesus did this with his disciples, they sang a song. We're going to sing a song. You can go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing in response to what we've learned today, but responding to what Jesus has done. Just as, just as David said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. We're going to sing those same words. That's the response today. We're responding, Lord, clean me. Clean me. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. We're going to sing those very words. If you want to trust Christ as Savior today, you certainly can do that. I'd love to share with you how to do that. Come forward afterwards, or you can text ALIVE to 423-455-9458, and I'd love to walk with you how to trust in the Lord. If you'd like to come in for prayer, any any other thing, you can. But right where you are, let's respond by singing to the Lord, thanking Him for all that He's done for us.